values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you joining me for a little bit of your day on the show. I have always talked about my my love for team sports. Uh, growing up, as I did, as a Pop Warner football player in Southwest Florida and um, coaching football for such a long time, I just think when young people are involved in a team competition, I don't care if it's a debate team, when you have a common goal with other people, when you are in a locker room filled with people you may not get along with or not hang out with outside of the locker room, but you work on a common goal together, it makes you a better employee, a better teammate down the road. There are so many life lessons that are learned on the field of, of competition. And uh, the other thing that I love about this story is this is about women's sports. And uh, I love the attention that women's sports have been getting because my nieces were, have been athletes since they were little girls, and I love watching the, the women compete. So we are talking right now with the coach of the GCU women's rugby team and their captain. So joining us now is Lindsay Mahoney and uh, Dee Dee Cilio. Thanks for coming on, both of you. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate it. Um, you're going to have to forgive me. You're going to have to forgive me because I don't know anything about rugby. Do you guys face that a lot? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, some of the girls who end up joining our team from Transfer Sports don't even know anything about rugby to start. So uh, the majority of Americans don't, but it's a fast-growing sport, so um, it's catching on. So, Coach, let's start with you. You've had an illustrious career in the sport of rugby. You are known around the world as a competitor and, and, and really elite. What drew you to GCU in this program? Um, it was really a God thing. Uh, I was I was playing overseas. I was playing in Ireland, and I came home, and I started praying for direction. And at the time, there was really no professional coaching jobs in our country, especially for, for women. Uh, so when I was, like, praying for this direction, I feel like God opened this door, and uh, I found this job smack dab in the middle of my hometown. hometown. I grew up in Goodyear, Arizona. I went to Arizona State. That's where I found rugby. Uh, so to find a coaching job for females, not only, you know, in the country, but in my hometown um, at GCU, which is a school I've grown up respecting and seen it grow. You know, when I graduated high school, it was nothing. Um, it was so cool to kind of see this opportunity um, come come into fruition for me. So how important is it? How important is it for you as a coach to instill character and make sure that they are of the highest character in the players on your team? Um, I mean, I think character is everything, and for us, culture is everything. Um, we're not only we know we can build rugby players, uh, we know we can build athletes, but it's building people that's most important to us. Um, I think our biggest thing is we want to build strong girls, but we want to build them strong in every single aspect of life, so mentally, physically, spiritually. Um, it's a crazy time in our world, um, especially as a young adult. It's a hard time to figure out, you know, which direction to go. So we just want to help guide these girls towards a fixed point. Dee, Dee let me talk with you for a moment about being named captain of this team. What does that mean to you to be named captain? Oh, it it means everything. I I'm so fortunate and thankful that my coaches and my teammates have in, entrusted me in this role. And, you know, I, it's something that I try to take further than, you know, just on the field, you know, being a captain and trying to lead out there. You know, I want to make sure that um, I'm there for my teammates off the field as well. You know, if they need somebody to talk to, whether that has to do with rugby or not. Um, and I just also try to, you know, let other girls know on the team that, you know, 
just because I'm captain, it does not mean that, you know, you can't be leaders on the team as well, you know, because we want to continue to have a successful team even after I've graduated. What drew you to the sport of rugby? Um, I was a freshman in high school and I wanted to play a sport. And um, I was lucky enough to have a club rugby team at my high school and I just gave it a go and it was nothing like I had ever played before or seen and I just fell in love with it. Uh, you both are very humble about this team, but you are uh, you were nationally ranked at the end of last season. Is that true? Yes. And you now uh, you are ranked now in is it in your division or in your league? You were ranked ahead of teams like ASU, U of A, UCLA. So you you are now coming into the season expected to be number one. Is that right? Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, did you, coach, would you like you to take this one? Or? Yeah. What do you say, Coach? Um, is that true? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so we, so we are, you know, ahead of all those teams coming into our conference this year. We were ranked fourth in the nation last year, um, which was a huge jump from where we were pre-COVID. Um, and you know, our goal is to make it to to the national championship this year. So, t- this question for both of you, or either one of you, can answer. Do you realize that uh, you are examples to young girls that you know women's sports has come so far, let's say in the last decade, but you are an example to a lot of young people, especially young girls, that uh, they can achieve something. Do you see yourselves as examples? Do you live your lives as trying to be a good example to young people? Go ahead. Do you like to go first? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'll go. I'll go. Right. Um, so I, I definitely, especially with being like a leader and everything like that, or just, just the teammate in general, you know, like when I see like um a freshman girl coming in or you know players who've never played before i like to try and set you know like a like a big sister example if i can you know and be that person for them uh so that they can feel comfortable and you know gain confidence especially you know being like a freshman in college and being it's a whole new chapter of your life it can be very intimidating and you know i i get to go back home and um help my mom coach um young girls rugby and you know set good examples for them, you know, as a, as an athlete and as just a, a young woman. And coach, what about you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is such a niche sport and so professional and collegiate opportunities are so new in this sport. So I'd say we're absolutely pioneers, especially as females. So to show, you know, the up and coming girls within our sport, um, what we're, what we, what kind of, um, example we want to set for them is, is so important to us and it's cool to see that kind of trickle down from the top level and then to like come back from a professional opportunity and see my girls investing in, in the freshmen and the high school girls in the clubs locally it's really like fun to see it's kind of wildfire how how our influence um just just has been multiplying um so my biggest thing i tell the girls is like hey like we want to like you're my leaders but i want you to make leaders of your own so i'll invest in you as leaders but my goal is to see you guys make absolute replicas of yourselves over the next four years and they're so good at doing that and they're so intentional so um it's uh, it's a humbling place to be but it's an exciting place to be so coach if people want to come out and see you play how can they when is the season and when can how can they watch you guys play Absolutely. We would love that. So fall is our preseason, um, but spring is our conference season. We'd love to see people out at games. So a lot of our games will be, will be played there at GCU in the soccer stadium. If they want to follow us um, on Instagram, it's at GCU Rugby Women. We'll post our schedule there. We'd love to see you guys. Um, and that would be awesome. We'd be really humbled to see you guys there. 
Now, uh, a little secret that people don't know is that uh, Didi's father was a superstar athlete in college and professional football. And I've been a Dan Cilio fan my entire life because I'm a Miami Hurricane. And uh, I've always told people that he is uh, probably the best athlete I've ever met except for Deion Sanders. And I would say now that I'm not even sure he's the best athlete in his family. I want you to tell him I said that. (laughs) I I will, for sure. All right. Thanks to both of you for coming on today. Thanks so much. Thank Appreciate you so it. much. All right. This was uh, such a fun conversation. I, I love what they're doing in this program, but I like the fact that they're molding young people into leaders. And that's what I love about team sports. It is about wins and losses. It always is. But in the end, it has to be about these young people becoming better human beings and being great in their community. And I just thought these are two great examples of it. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about public education and the public education system. New test results coming in in the state of Arizona. So we'll do that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, Just going over the test scores, uh, the Department of Education here in Arizona has released test scores, uh, standardized testing for English language arts and math. Um... Grades, uh, the improvement is is fairly significant in, in many areas, which is, is good, but we are still well under 50% passage rate in grades 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. So elementary school kids in uh, reading. And you know the old adage, I, I say it on the show probably twice a week, that up until third grade, you learn to read. And then after third grade, you read to learn. And so having that skill, that necessary skill um, – there was a national story that I saw before I saw these test results in Arizona. Satisfaction with U.S. education is dropping, according to a Gallup survey. Only 42% of Americans said they are completely or somewhat satisfied with K-12 through education, compared to 51% back in 2019. Only 9% said they are completely satisfied with education that students are receiving, and 2% that said they have no opinion. Um, that is astonishing. Now, part of it is, I think, the exposure that parents had to the way some people are teaching. And I, I and I have to admit, I think it's a fair thing to acknowledge that you, we hear the we see the extremes many times. But there have been so many cases that we've seen where the extremes are not handled appropriately. I have another story here in front of me how uh, parents were were doxxed, were being doxxed in California, just like in the Scottsdale Unified School District, when parents question mask mandates, when parents question school closures, when parents question curriculum. Um, they have been ostracized. The National School Board Association actually used the phrase domestic terrorists and asked the FBI to show up at school board meetings and come after parents. All of that really happened. Now, these weren't some fringe groups of people. This was the National School Board Association. They ended up having to apologize. And good for the state of Arizona in in, uh, getting rid of its relationship, ending its relationship with the National School Board Association. When you look at what parents saw during the pandemic in how teachers were teaching and what they were saying and I'll use the word indoctrination in many cases what we saw in the extreme cases was indoctrination and you know parents parents are reasonable I think by and large people are reasonable no one cares what you believe 
Honestly, I, I debate people all the time that I genuinely like the conversation with. And I'm sure if we ever met face to face, I would genuinely like. But I disagree with them. And you people do that all the time. The problem is when you try to do those things to our children, it's not your place. As an educator, I don't know what te- what gives some of the teachers that believe this, that they think that that's their job to do this with other people's children. You wouldn't tolerate it. You know, if the neighbor down the street was pumping their politics into your children's head, you would tell them to knock it off. You wouldn't let your children go over there. Um, when it comes to sexuality, why do we want to sexualize young people? All these questions have been asked. So on one hand, people are saying that doesn't belong in the classroom. Keep it out. Now, it would be different if we were educating children at a high level. And then you would say this is a part of higher learning. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm honestly looking back in my – thinking back in my mind to the teachers I had going all the way back. And I still remember uh, some of my my first, second, third grade teachers um, that I I still remember. Um, I never had a clue what my teacher's political leanings were. Not a clue what they thought politically. I was a good reader when I was a kid, and I was proud of being a good reader, and I remember them instilling that in me. I remember teachers telling me I could be anything I wanted to. I remember the nuns at Catholic school when I was really young and uh, and you know and and uh, how that was. I just remember that young part of my education. And so we have an, we had an assumption as adults that that's what the school system is like. Well, it isn't. And it isn't everywhere, I should say. And when you've got people at this level that are under 50% in English and math skills in every grade three through eight, every one of us should be concerned. Every one of us should demand better. And not demand demand better and a slow incremental growth. We should demand better right now. And that's why you see this program here in Arizona where people are looking to for at other options for schools with the expansion of the ESA or this or the voucher program. And I think there is going to be a demand for change. And as the world changes and people have other options, this is in everything, you must be excellent. And if you're not excellent, you will get left behind. Homeschooling might Micro schools, charter schools, parents have options. And unless you're going to be a viable option, people will walk away. Except now in Arizona, they're going to walk away and take dollars with them. That's the significant change. And that, I think, is what a lot of parents like. Uh, In a moment, we shift gears to going back to the economy. Are we looking at another rate increase? Are we headed toward a recession? Is the economy on the way up or is the economy stagnant? Is the economy on its way down? We'll ask all of those questions next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Brunette Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. 
thanks for being here. I appreciate you spending time with the show this morning. Uh, I want to take a different direction as we talk about the economy, as people are watching what's happening. Um, and I will tell you, Wall Street is not always the best indicator. It's back up now. We are concerned when we see it dipping because our 401ks are connected into it. But let's be honest. People on Wall Street make money. It doesn't matter who president the president is. It doesn't matter who's in control in the Congress. Wall Street makes money. That's what they do. That's what they're good at. So Democrat, Republican, they don't care. They look at the, the climate and they base their decisions on not just who's in office, but the policies they have and what it's going to do to their ability to make money in one sector or the other. And you'll see them shift. They'll pull out of one sector. They'll move into something else. They're just a lot smarter than us when it comes to that. But I want to go in a little bit of a different direction with this because um, we talked earlier about student loan forgiveness. And how it's angering some people because we're watching, um, we're, we're watching the president of the United States say to one sector of our society, you deserve some relief. You got these student loans and you're having a tough time paying back. And sometimes it's not about having a tough time paying it back, but it is about the income bracket you're in. And whether or not you finished college, you may have dropped out. But you still got to pay the loans back. We're going to forgive some of that money. And it's infuriating to the other sector of our economy. And, and that's what I talked about earlier. I want to go down a different road. Um, and it's one I've talked about before, but I think it's important. Is um, we don't have an income problem in the United States Treasury. And this is, every family goes through this or individual goes through this at some point in their life, I believe, unless you're a very fortunate person. Either you're really smart or you were born into a lot of money and you learned how to deal with it. Um, we've gotten to a place in our life where we cannot pay our bills or we are having trouble paying our bills. And it's either an income problem, you're not making enough money, or it's a spending problem could be a combination of both. But those are the issues people deal with. And businesses do this all the time, especially bigger companies. They look at an issue and they say, what are we going to do about where we're positioned? There's two things you do. You reduce the size of your company, like uh, Bed Bath & Beyond is closing stores and laying off employees. And so you get lean and mean, you reduce your expenses, and you try to get profitable that way. Another way is you grow your way out of debt. You get more stores and more income streams or whatever it is so that you can grow. Growth takes you out of debt. The American economy, the American treasury, the United States treasury does not have an income problem. It's definitely a spending problem. Every month, every quarter, every year, the United States treasury takes in more money than ever before. It happened last month. It's going to happen this month, and it's continuing down that road. But what we do have is a spending problem because we still run at a deficit. And more than anything else, it, it, this is where partisan politics really rules the day more than any place else, I believe, is when it comes to this idea. Because if we continue to just say we have to help poor people, poor people don't have a chance, we're going to bolster the middle class, this is all about the working class and the government's going to take care of the working class and we're fighting for you, that's a, that's a, that's a political ideology. In reality, they have enough money to do everything they need to do. And so the way they justify raising taxes is say we're only going to do it to this group and it's only going to be the richest among us. A, they can afford it and B, they're not paying their fair share. Instead of all of us as U.S. citizens say, wait a minute, hang on a minute. You are wasting our money. 
There's redundancy. There's waste. There's the complete loss of dollars. Every year a report comes out, and the federal government has to admit that there are billions of dollars in equipment or billions of dollars in cash they cannot account for. That is just poor record keeping. That is poor management of your money. No corporation would be able to solve. As a matter of fact, I'll go even further in saying that in some cases, if you have stockholders and you can't account for your spending, you could go to jail. This is what is frustrating to the American people. And I'll be honest, I'm very fortunate because I, I grew up not. Having I not having anything, I should say, but, you know, I was a middle class kid when I was very, very young and my parents got divorced and my mother raised three boys by herself and we were very poor. Um, But I've always worked for wealthy people and I've always appreciated wealthy people. My paycheck cashed. Um, I learned from them and I worked on a, a place. If you've ever, if you're familiar with Southwest Florida, I've talked about it before. Uh, Sanibel and Captiva Islands are sister islands off the Gulf of Mexico, off of Fort Myers Beach. And the best way I can describe Sanibel and Captiva Islands, they are like Paradise Valley on an island. Very upscale. Many times it's vacation homes for people, upscale rentals, condos, private homes. And when the owners would be in uh, and we would do work on the homes there, the condos, I would always talk with them, business owners and you know people that were very successful. And some, some of the people were celebrities you would know. And I never got an impression from any of them that I couldn't do it. They always gave me the impression, if I can do this, you can do this. It takes hard work, does take a little bit of luck, but you just got to work hard. You got to be dedicated. And they would always give me advice and I would take it. Everybody I learned the electrical trade from was somebody that had money because they were successful business owners and I learned from them. So I don't think the average American buys into the class warfare argument. And I would submit to anyone out there that's involved just to to rethink this a little bit. Go online. Don't take my word for it. Go online and do your own homework. Look at how the United States Treasury continues to take in more revenue every single month. And then ask yourself, why would they take more from any sector of of uh, our society? As a matter of fact, uh, the tax cuts that happened accelerated the economy. If you want to be very accurate about this, and this is part of my pol- political ideology, is when the tax cuts happened during the Trump administration, it actually increased the revenue into the Treasury. How does that work? Well, people were hiring. People were giving people raises. The average American was paying more in taxes because they were earning more money. So we widened and broadened the tax base. But even if you don't subscribe to that ideology, you still have to acknowledge that it's true, that even with tax cuts involved, there was more money coming into the United States Treasury. So why is the federal government now in the middle of what is what seems to be an economic, at least chaos, if not a recession yet? Why are you going to tax people? Why do you want 87,000 more IRS agents? You're already taking in record revenue, and they're hiring 87,000 more IRS agents. As an average American, forget Republican, Democrat. Forget it. Why? Why is that something we want as Americans? We hold the purse strings because we have the power of the ballot box. And I just think we need to start looking at this round of candidates, whoever it is. We got to get people elected in office locally, statewide, and in federal government that are going to rein in government and allow the American people to keep more of their money. Record in, record economy. I'm a record income into the treasury. Incredible. 
In a moment, uh, we've got an update on something uh, that has to do with the Arizona audit, uh, an update on the cyber ninjas. We'll talk about that and why it's important in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Why would we go back and say anything about the Arizona audit? It's not so much about our audit, but it's about my displeasure with the way that things were done. Uh, Surveillance camera footage captured Cyber Ninja's CEO, Doug Logan. I should say former CEO because I don't think they're even in business anymore. I think they've shut things down. Smiling as he strode into a rural Georgia uh, county election office in January of 21, a site where authorities say voting machines were breached. Now, he's a part of this investigation. He hasn't been charged with any crime. I don't want to accuse him of any crime. But here is my issue with all of this. For everyone, this is for everybody on both sides of the political aisle. I was in favor of an audit because in 2016, the Democrats thought the election was stolen. In 2020, the Republicans thought it was stolen. There has been a huge battle in this country about election integrity over and over and over again. We've got more things on the ballot here in Arizona about election integrity. We all want elections to be safe and fair. We want them to be easy to vote, hard to cheat. When we get into battles like this, it is just about partisan politics. There's no doubt about that. And when you do an audit the way this was done, all you get is more partisan politics. Uh, I maintain respect for people that were involved in the audit. I, I've said this before. I have friends. I have very dear friends that if you met them, you would like them. You would respect them. You would not think they were tinfoil hat wearers or anything like that. They are people that believe that there were serious issues with the 2020 election, and they still believe it. I don't discount them. I just don't agree with them. But to marginalize people and making them out to be fanatics – is the wrong thing to do. But in fairness, when you've got a guy like this, Doug Logan, and his company, the Cyber Ninjas, that did this audit, and now where there's smoke, there's fire in the minds of people. Now, you know, Georgia's being, there's criminal charges that may happen to people in Georgia. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen to Doug Logan, but th- there was a whole different ball game of what was going on in Georgia. And it's not going to be, The way it looks anyway is it's not people that were uh, Joe Biden supporters. And so when you have something as serious as an audit, and I've used this analogy before, my doctor, who I just saw recently, is uh, has been my doctor for over 25 years. Um, I, I think he's the best. If I didn't think he was the best, I wouldn't be going there for 25 years. I truly believe that he is the best. And um I was diagnosed with severe hypertension about a year and a half ago, and he tried to get it under control with medication, and about a month later, wasn't getting many changes, weren't being made, so he sent me to a cardiologist who is a brilliant cardiologist, and dealing with them, got it under control. My point is, when something is is uh, severe, something is that important, you bring in a specialist. It doesn't mean that you're not good at what you do. My doctor is phenomenal at what he does. But he also understands that there are people out there that specialize in things like high blood pressure. And I needed a specialist. The Arizona audit was what was called by the people doing it and others the most significant audit of an election that's ever happened in this country. Ever. Ever. 
And we hired a company that had never done it before. And it turned out exactly the way I thought it was going to turn out. More questions than answers. Um, there are, there's been tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines levied against them because they have documents they were supposed to supply that they never did. Uh, they went out of business because well, whatever, why it doesn't matter why. But what happened is, and I mean this sincerely for the elect, for the people that believe the election was stolen, you're never going to get your answers. You're never going to get an answer because this audit was done so poorly that nobody would believe anything that they were going to say anyway. And now there has been such a bad taste in everyone's mouth for what happened. There will never be a legitimate audit of the 2020 election. Now, I will tell you that I think just like any other organization, and I would say this is one of the most important organizations, the elections officials, whether it's the Secretary of State's office or it is um, the uh, county uh, recorder's office, It is one of the most important departments of any government because it oversees you and I choosing our leadership. I think we ought to have mandatory audits of it. I think there ought to be mandatory audits that are done impartially by organizations that are reputable to see how we're doing things. Are we getting it right? And and by what margin? You know, take a year, uh, you know, maybe every if you don't do it every 10, maybe that's too distant. But let's say every 10 years, whether it's so you'd be midterm election and sometimes presidential elections where you do spot audits and you go in and you look at what you see. And if you don't meet a certain threshold of satisfaction, you dig deeper so we can figure out what we're doing. I believe that would be a good thing to do. But you've got the guy that did the audit here that came in saying he knew the election was stolen, that brought a documentary crew in to film a documentary about the stolen election during the audit, not after, not showing the findings in Arizona as proof the election was stolen. During the audit, they allowed them on the audit floor to videotape things for a documentary about a stolen election. And this is what you get when that happens. And, and unfortunately, I would love to stop talking about this. The faster we can stop talking about 2020, the better off we're all going to be. I believe that sincerely. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, we're going to go back to the border crisis. Uh, how many people have come into this country in the last fiscal year? How many? The number is staggering. I'm going to give you that number. I'm going to let you hear the discussion that's happening about the border between our leadership and what people are now saying about the White House and the denial that there's any crisis at our border. All that's coming up next.